today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. The context for sexuality was meant to be a picture of Christ and the church, just as we heard in the marriage conference recently. It's meant to be a picture of the way that Jesus loves his bride. And it's meant that certain things are meant to happen in marriage as part of that unique relationship that Christ displays in his self-giving love for the church. And so when we take this gift and we spray paint over it, that's why God has a problem with it. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Pastor Ricky will be teaching tonight on the counterfeit to genuine love towards God and towards others. The counterfeit is lust and sexual immorality. Giving in to lust and sexual immorality is a direct result of not understanding your identity in Christ. Paul exhorts all believers to imitate God as dear children. When you understand that God truly loves you and that you're His child, you will be motivated to please Him. Don't allow the sexual relationship to become perverted. Obey God's ways. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 for our continuing study entitled Holiness in Christ. So we need to look now at the counterfeit, beginning in verse 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. Now, three things about lust. First is this, that lust is grounded or begins in losing your identity in Christ. Now, I think it's helpful if we understand what he's talking about here. Sexual immorality, this word for sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage according to scripture. So in these days, it would have been common for lots of sexual immorality of all kinds to be going on. And Paul says, okay, all of that, no, no. Impurity means giving yourself, it's, it's this word that means giving yourself over to your sort of sinful, natural impulses, satisfying and gratifying yourself lustfully. And then covetousness is really sort of mentioned as the heart that leads to the other two things, that that you want something that you don't have, therefore you give yourself up to impurity and give yourself up to sexual immorality. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think of the Bible, uh, I think of these people sort of as bashful prudes. I don't know where this comes from, but it's almost like, oh, these people don't understand. They don't understand what it's like to live in our day. They don't understand what it's like to walk around. Paul would give us a break if he just understood, right? Well, in Ephesus, the city he's writing to, if you know the book of Acts, you remember that there's a huge religious cult around the goddess Artemis. Okay, there's a riot when Paul goes there to preach the gospel and he threatens the the local economy because they make so many of these little Artemis statues. They're like souvenirs. It's like the Disneyland of Artemis, right? You remember that? And so they have a mob and they're yelling, they're, they're yelling all of these things. Diana, Artemis, the same, same God. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. And they're whipping themselves up to a frenzy because they're afraid their way of life is going to die. What you may not know is that God was a fertility goddess. You know how you worshipped? One of the ways you worshipped this God? 
going to temple prostitutes and by having huge orgies. That was religion in that city. Can you imagine what depravity looked like? And in our culture, I don't think we're any better. A survey of 18 to 29-year-olds revealed that 88% of them have already had premarital, extramarital sex. Uh, Culturally, one in four searches on the internet and one in five searches on mobile phones are for pornography. More money is spent on it than, than country music, classical music, Broadway music, jazz music, and rock music combined. This culture has invaded every part of our society. It's not just certain styles of music that are like this. That We're talking uh, country music and pop music. We're talking movies. We're talking award-winning TV shows that people in formal attire clap for. We're talking commercials. We're talking ads. We're talking restaurants that cater to this. And inside the church, friends, we are sadly little better. A recent survey came out shocked me that, that said of those who identify themselves as evangelicals, somewhere between 70 to 80% of them have already had sex outside of marriage. And a very recent study said that 50% of men, and listen to this, 20% of Christian women say they are not just using pornography, but addicted to it. Now, In our relativistic culture, the question that we are constantly bombarded is, well, why shouldn't you do those things? Okay? Why? It's natural. It's part of biology. Give yourself over to that. Just be responsible is sort of the mantra of our culture. And so we as Christians, unless we think differently, are going to just think the same way. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. And so sometimes the basic biblical reason that, okay, God says no to these things, so don't do it. Sometimes we just stop there. Okay, well, God says no. I guess we can't do that because he doesn't want us us to have any fun ever or do anything exciting because he's just that kind of a guy. Sometimes you get this impression from growing up in the church that you never go beyond that to ask, why does God forbid this? Which is crucial for us. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that sex itself is not the problem. That God created it to be used to glorify him. And God created it not just for procreation, not just to guard us for sin, but if you read the Song of Solomon, you will find an open and free attitude about this gift, and it is a gift that would shock us. I mean, if you've ever wanted to be uncomfortable, just go read the Song of Solomon out loud by yourself, probably, rather not in your workplace, because you'll probably get reported. So go, if you ever wanted to make yourself uncomfortable, just go read that book by yourself somewhere, and you realize that God is not prudish when it comes to sexuality, okay? Sex is a good and amazing gift provided for us by God, and the reason that God hates these things mentioned here are that they are perversions of a good gift that he has made. Imagine somebody goes into one of the great art museums of the world, the Louvre or whatever, priceless priceless art, centuries old, and some graffiti artist decides, I can do better. Because the Mona Lisa would be a hilarious existential statement if she had a mustache that I spray painted on her. The great statue David would be hilarious if he was painted in purple and orange. 
Now, the world would be shocked and angry and mad. Why? Because you care about the original. The original is beautiful and, and as close to perfection as you can get. And to destroy it cheaply, there's something about it that, 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 that should shock us. And here's what's, we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, but marriage, the context for sexuality, was meant to be a picture of Christ and the church, just as we heard in the marriage conference recently. It's meant to be a picture of the way that Jesus loves his bride. And it's meant that certain things are meant to happen in marriage as part of that unique relationship that Christ displays in his self-giving love for the church. And so when we take this gift and we spray paint over it, that's why God has a problem with it. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, but because he created something better than we think, more beautiful than we think, and it deserves to be more protected than we think. So why do we do this? Why would we, in essence, spray paint the Mona Lisa? Well, we've got identity issues. See, lust is an identity issue. Lust happens when we forget who we are. This is why, Paul, listen, this is what Paul says. He says, don't allow these things to be present in the church, verse three, as is proper among saints. Do you see how he ties it to his identity there? He says, look, you've been washed, you've been redeemed, you've been cleaned, you've been made holy, you've been made a saint, so don't contradict your identity by going after these things. Because what lust does is it looks at all of the blessings that Christ pours out on us in Ephesians chapter one, that we've been pursued, that we've been loved, that we've been redeemed, and says, you know what, God, I appreciate that, but that's frankly not enough. You know what, God, I'd rather have something else than that. Thanks very much. I appreciate your sacrificial, self-giving love, but you know what, in this moment, I want this more. See, that's, that's lust. Lust happens when we forget who we are in Christ. Because if you're fully aware that you're a saint, that you've been redeemed, that you've been washed, that you've been cleaned, that you've been made holy, lust becomes distasteful. You know, I've been thinking back to my own struggles with lust, especially as a teenager. And there were times where I struggled with various types of lust, but I never really made any progress in, in fighting. So I would fight and then it would get discovered. And, and so then my dad would help me and I would kind of put that thing away for a season. And, and then a few years later, I'd be right back where I was struggling again. And it wasn't until something changed in my struggle that I finally began to get some ground. And you know what it was? Sounds stupid to admit to a big group of people, but it was simply this. I realized I was tempted to lust when I was lonely. When I felt, felt like, man, I'm never gonna, <laughs> I'm never gonna be with a girl, I'm never gonna have this, I don't have a lot of friends or whatever. My sin took me, oh, well, you can do something to satisfy yourself right now. You don't have to be lonely. Turn to this, it'll numb the pain. It'll make it go away for a few minutes. And it wasn't until I saw that and then I realized, look, loneliness stinks, okay? <laughs> but if I remember that I'm loved by God, that he's here with me, that he's sent folks around me, that he himself dwells in me, that I have a future and a hope with him, my loneliness doesn't go away, but I can cling to Christ. And when I began to hold fast to the truth that Jesus loves me enough to die for me and is with me right now and knows what it's like to be single, 
and knows my sin and knows and loves me anyway. And I, I am a saint in him. I'm a loved child of God in him. That's when I finally started making progress. Friends, our lust is so often rooted in our identity issues. And what you need to hear loud and clear over and over is this. You are loved. You are redeemed. You are a saint. You are washed. You are clean. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because it's only when you are secure that you can fight the drift. Lust happens when we're insecure in identity in Christ. But second, lust has consequences. It takes life from others. See, when, you, when you're insecure in your identity, when you reject God, when you reject his plan, you begin to turn inward and your point of your life becomes satisfying yourself, which is ironic because we were meant to find our satisfaction and, and joy and fulfillment in being satisfied in God, which is really the only way we'll be satisfied. But we say, no, I'm not gonna be satisfied that way. I'm gonna try to satisfy myself. And so here's what happens. You go look for somebody to love. Isn't that romantic? We have all these movies and stuff and, and, and oh, if I could just find love. You know what I've realized about like 80% of the time in those cases people are actually looking for? They're not looking for love, this like vague thing. They're looking for somebody to love them. You're, you're going out into the relational marketplace because you want somebody to love and serve you not primarily with their good on your mind. We're all, we've become just the society of using one another to try to get at our own happiness. And then we wonder why it doesn't work, right? If you get two people trying to use each other, you're like, why are we unhappy? I just feel unhappy now. Like it, it's because you're trying to use one another. You've cut yourself off from the source of satisfaction. You're each pursuing your own end. And, and well, that's what happens. Now, I want to, I want to, just briefly bash on the romance industry a little bit because there's some of you that, that probably think, okay, I don't really lust. I'm not one of those people that gets online and looks at stuff or, or finds movies that have bad stuff. I just want someone to love me truly, deeply, madly and to build their whole world around me and to give me everything I ever wanted. That seems so unreasonable. I'm not like these lusty people. I, I, just, I, just, want, I just want someone to love me for me all the time unconditionally. And I just want to love them conditionally, but not, but I just, I want, I want them to love me unconditionally. And so you love maybe the world of chick flicks and romance novels and the pinnacle, the pinnacle is always when that person finds that one special person who will give them everything they want forever, no questions asked. And here's my question. Does the idea of romance in our culture line up with scripture in this way? Are we just after our own self-satisfaction? Because if you get into a relationship that way, it's going to be off. And if you feed that, if you feed that idea before you're married, that you're, you're just going to find this one special, super awesome, super good looking, sparkly vampire that's going to watch over your bed like a creep and love you unconditionally, like you begin to build up some strange expectations. Now, look, I'm, I'm not saying you can never watch a chick flick or watch a, or read a romantic novel. Hear, hear what I'm saying, guys. It's that when you give yourself over to this idea that's so seductive, that that's what your husband's gonna do and it's not gonna take any work and you're never gonna have to get out of yourself and give yourself to love one another. It's not biblical, it's not practical, but it's not even as glorifying as God intends it to be to himself. And I got to bring one other thing up. I'm just killing my time here, but okay. I've got to bring this up because this is uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it. It's well documented that the pornography industry preys on the weak, that it promotes violence against women, and that every click 
Listen, every click on a pornographic website funds that. I can tell you that, but I want to talk to you about why pornography takes life from others. The latest research reveals that pornography affects your brain like an addictive substance. That over time, you have to seek out more and more explicit material to get the same buzz, the same way that addicts respond to drugs. So this means something. It means that your spouse or, listen guys, your future spouse will become less and less attractive compared to the fantasy world of pornography. That pornography trains you to think like this, that the opposite sex is someone to serve you and is an object to gratify yourself. It's training you to use people, to take from people. It is crippling. This is researched and and proven, guys. It is crippling and it will cripple your ability to have real relationships with real people. And this is personal for me because as a teenager, I battled this. And let me just say this from experience. You cannot fight this alone. You need help. Don't believe the lie that this week it's going to be better. You're going to be more restrained. You're going to look at less because it's working on your brain. You need something to break that cycle. And that cycle, if it continues, is going to wreck your marriage. It's going to wreck your family. So listen, I want you to get help. You can talk to somebody. You can, you can talk to those around you in the church. We would love to link arms with you, but don't lie to yourself and say that pornography does not affect the people around you. And last, I want to end by saying this. Lust also takes glory from God. For Paul says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, this should frighten us out of our minds because it says point blank that those people who are sexually immoral have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. There's a picture that Christ has a beautiful kingdom. Under his rule, people are rejoicing. And if you are sexually immoral, you're not part of that. That doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. What Paul is writing to these Christians and saying is this. It means that by your actions, you can show that you never were part of Christ's kingdom. If you're an American ambassador who says, hey, I know the U.S. sent me over here, but I'm open to other offers. I got some state secrets. want to see what you guys can do for me. That guy's shown himself to be a traitor. He may have an American citizen card, right? But he is no American citizen. And we would say no. Same thing. Prolonged pattern of unrepentant sexual immorality must cause you to ask hard questions about whether you truly are a citizen of his kingdom. And it ends this way by saying, don't let anyone deceive you about how serious this is. Don't you love that Paul throws that in? He goes, listen, as soon as you walk out of here, people are going to try to deceive you about what I've just written. As soon as you walk out of here, sex outside of marriage is perfectly natural. Morality is an outdated construct. As long as you love one another, everything is fine. What you do is your business, but there's something we're forgetting. We don't make the rules. God does. We didn't design marriage, God did. We didn't design sex, God did. So for our glory and for our good and his glory, he makes the rules that that, that lead us to rejoice in him and have life-fulfilling relationships with one another. So I don't know, there's no contradiction between what would be good for us and would bring glory to God. They're the same and yet we swerve. I want to end this morning by pointing us to Jesus, but I want to end it by pointing us to Jesus in a particular way. Um, I want to read something my friend Eric 
who's a pastor, a church planner in Arlington, uh, wrote about, he specifically wrote it about pornography, but I believe it can be applied to any kind of lust. And so he, in his essay, he, he says, I hate porn, but I'm just going to say I hate it because whatever it is for you, I want you to put this in. And what I want you to see is, I want you to see the effect that this has on people around you, the life that it takes from them, and the, the glory that it takes from God. He writes this, friends, I hate it, and here's why. I hate it because it's a perversion of what God created in man and woman. I hate it because it exploits women made in the image of God into an image made for a man's lust, or vice versa. I hate it because it objectifies people into consumable products instead of glorious image-bearing creatures of God. I hate it because I love women, in particular my wife and three daughters. I hate it because it takes the soul-satisfying experience of sex with a covenantally committed spouse and turns it into a twisted, soul-shrinking experience of self-sex. I hate it because it turns sons and daughters of God into slaves. I hate it because it turns potential missionaries into impotent Christians. I hate it because it destroys marriage, many before they even begin. I hate it because it extends adolescence and keeps them boys. I hate it because it leads, it lies to us about beauty and leads us to look for a porn star instead of a woman or a man who fears the Lord. I hate it because it robs men and women of the full joy of obedience. I hate it because it fractures trust between a husband and a wife. I hate it because it is a diabolical, satanic activity that is subtly leading thousands upon thousands to hell. I hate it because it disqualifies gospel preachers who could fill the empty church buildings in my city and so many others. I hate it because of the disappointment children have to go through when their dad tells them why he lost his job or an opportunity to lead in the church. I hate it because I'm tired of sitting in my living room with sobbing, confused, devastated wives and broken, embarrassed, condemned men who got caught. I hate it because it leads to rape, to molestation, to perversion that can devastate people for the rest of their lives. I hate it because it turns men inward and suffocates us and our ambition to make God's name hallowed. But friends, it ends this way. But I love Jesus. I love Jesus because he loves people with porn problems, with sexual immorality, with lust to have failed and been broken. I love Jesus because he is powerful to set free enslaved hearts. He knew no addiction. He who knew no porn addiction became porn addiction so that the porn addict might become the righteousness of God in him. He who had no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. Friend, you are no longer in Adam, but in Jesus. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. 
CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio. Better News Radio.